not in our strength. So I'm going to speak about a guy called Moses and look at the lessons that we can learn out of his life. And it really is interesting because Moses was used by God powerfully. Moses led millions of people through the desert and ultimately, although he did not enter, he took them towards the promised land. He was the chosen leader of God and God had to do a work in him to make him the type of person that could be used by him like he wants to use him. And God wants to do that same work he did in Moses. He wants to do in you, but the devil will try and attack it. So let's, let's, look, at, um, let's look at this. So just a bit of a backtrack for Moses' story. So Moses grows up in Egypt. I'm not going to go through the whole story. He was actually a, a Hebrew from the people of God. Uh, the Pharaoh wanted to kill all the, all the boys born. We'll speak about that in a moment. His mom said, I can't let this boy die. So when he was a young boy, she put him in a, uh, in a little um, monkey. The actual, the actual Hebrew word for that is, uh, is ark. She put him in a little ark. And she sent him down the river. And then Pharaoh's daughter found him there. And he was raised in Pharaoh's household. So it is the man of God. But in Pharaoh, which is a picture of, in the Bible, actually a picture of the devil, a picture of the world. He grows up in that place. And in the same way, we as Christians, we are like that. When I become a Christian, I am like a chosen one of God in the world. Right? I'm in darkness. Moses, as a person of God, grew up in a place of darkness, which was Egypt and Pharaoh, and he was the bad guy. And in the same way, wherever you have been placed by God, God wants you to be like Moses. You have been sent there for a reason. He has saved you for a purpose. He put you in an ark of salvation, saying, I'm going to save you and I'm going to put you in a place so that you can accomplish my purposes in that place. Amen. Amen? Yeah. You are not in Stellenbosch to study. You're not yet for that. You didn't grow up in the town that you grew up in because that's where your mom and dad found a job. Wherever you go after this is not because that's where you sent your CV and you got a job. No, God... He has our lives in His hands and He will take us as those born-again believers and He will destine us to end up in places of darkness for His name's sake. You are in Stellenbosch to help revive something of what was and take this move of God even, even further. Yeah. You have been put here in your faculty, in your res, you've been put there for a reason, the same as Moses was. But here's the thing, uh, <clears throat> Exodus 1 verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now Joseph was the predecessor to Moses. He was the one that saw a move of God, saw the, the Hebrews being saved actually and then becoming a mighty nation. But then there arose a new king and forgot all about the previous move of God. Right? Yeah. But Moses still gets put in and, and God says, through you I want to bring a new move. I want to do a new thing. I want to speak over you guys prophetically and over us prophetically. Through us, God wants to do a new thing. The people in this town have forgotten about the move of God of all. The people in South Africa have forgotten about what God has done in the past. But God wants to do a new thing through us. He has placed us here for a purpose. Yeah. To be used by Him. He's placed us here. And although it's been forgotten, God wants to let them remember. But what Satan wants to do... I feel like I'm taking very long to get to my point. But what Satan wants to do is he wants to actually um, take us captive, right? And it's interesting how he takes the people of God captive. 
and how he takes Christians and people all around the world captive. These, I want to speak about this dark place that, you, that you'll start seeing. The moment you become a Christian, you'll see how Satan is working in people's lives. You'll start seeing the darkness around you because your heart becomes like God's and your heart starts breaking for the things of God. And he's placed you in certain spaces to see the darkness that there is. And it's interesting, through Moses' life, he started, his eyes started, this is what God wants to do in you tonight. He wants to start opening up your eyes, firstly to the fact that he wants to use you, secondly to the great need for God around you. Yeah. That's what he wants to do in you. To awaken you, to say, man, you are not here for your own sake. You are here for my sake. Come, I need an amen. Amen. You are here for my sake. That's what God wants to say. And you'll start seeing the grip of the enemy in different areas. But the question, I'm going to get to how we see that grip. And then the question becomes, what do I do about it? Do I do it in my own strength or do I do it in God's strength? Here's the way that that in... um, some of the darkness you're going to start seeing the moment you realize that God wants to use you. The first thing that Moses saw is in Exodus 1 verse 13 to 14. This is the people of God. So they ruthlessly, the, the world, the devil, did this to the people of God. Made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service. In mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Satan will come into the people around you and he will catch them to let them just do the work of a slave. Building brick and mortar is menial. He will make the people around you think that they are doing something of work in their lives, but actually they are just being a slave to this world. You'll see people around you, you're going to start being awake to the fact that people are sitting next to you in class and they think that they found life because they study or they're working or they're going to make a lot of money. But you know that they are actually a slave. They've been caught up in slavery. They're just doing manual work. And God's going to open your eyes and you're going to want to shout, Come on, wake up. There's more to life than this. It's the first thing that the devil does. <laughs> Second thing that he does, Exodus 1 verse 22 that he did here. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. You know what the devil wants to do? If he wants to stop a work of God, he will bring the men to naught. Now, ladies, God wants to use you. I'm not preaching against that. I'm just saying, over here, what did he want? He wants to stop the work of God through Moses, through, uh, through um, Joseph. What does he do? He says, let's kill the men. And I believe a lot of the men sitting here and a lot of the people around you, some of the darkness that you're going to see in yourself and in people around you, is the devil actually feminizing men. What is the devil? What is the devil's agenda in the world today? Look at media, look at social media, what is it? Wants to make men and women exactly the same. Now, I, I can't get into this, right? There's, there's a long discussion, I'll send you teachings about this. Men are not better than women, not in the least, but men are different than women. They've got a different role, and in the church there are specific functions of leadership that God has called the men to walk in, but what the devil will come and do is he will feminize, he'll take out the men. Some of you are sitting here, some men, and you can't rise up to be used by God because the devil has got a hand on your life. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the people sitting around you, maybe you're free from it. He's making the men feel like, oh, I can't stand up. Can't stand up. True. So what do we do about this? What did Moses do about this? How do we move forward? When our eyes start getting open to these things, what do, what do I 
What do I do? Because the natural inclination of man, and you'll see what Moses did now, is to say, God has done something in my heart. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix the problem. I can do it. It starts there. Say this with me. I can. I can. I can't. I can't. God can. God can. So the first one is I can. Some of you said that I knew you would. All right. <laughs> do it again. The first one is I can. Let's look at Moses. It's his life. So he sees the problem. Okay, you're still with me. Everyone following me? Yeah. He sees the problem. Now, here's the first, first thing he does. He, he knows that he's, he's not like the world around him. The Bible says of us, we are aliens. We are new creation, right? We are not like the world around us. He starts seeing that and then he sees the abuse of his people. He sees our men are being, being brought to none. He sees our manual labors. These people have no purpose to actually live for. Sees it. Exodus 2 verse 11 to 12. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. Come on, we need to get to a place where we see the burdens of the people around us. Yeah. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. What did he do? Killed him. He killed the guy. He's like, I'm going to do it. They, listen here. They are, this is just the stupidity of trying to do it in your own strength, right? <laughs> I, don't, I, I should have gone to see, but they were a couple of million people, Hebrews, being held captive by Egypt, by the world. By the way, go read the book of Exodus and read it in light of a prophetic picture of Jesus. It's a beautiful book. It's such a prophetic picture, right? And, <laughs> yeah, you, you made me lose my thought there, man. It's fine. <laughs> but he, um, where was I now? See. <laughs> Exodus, prophetic book. Huh? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so the, the stupidity of trying to do it in your own strength. There are millions of people around him, millions of Hebrews. He wants, he sees God opening his eyes. Now he wants to do something about it. He's like, cool, I'm going to kill one of the Egyptians. <laughs> That's acting out of frustration. It's going to help you zilt, nothing. But we are so arrogant in ourselves that we think, I can do it, right? I can help that person. I can, I can, anyway, I can, I can, like, give money to that one person. That's going to make a difference. I can look at the sin in my own life and I see the gunk in there and I can do it. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to put the discipline in place. You know, you, you don't know how big the problem is. That's the problem. <laughs> you have no clue how big the problem is. You are not big enough to face the problem. <laughs> True. I want to tell you a funny story. So God started opening up my eyes at some stage when I was a young student to the fact that local church is a good thing. I, I was this Christian, but I never had a revelation of church. And there was another guy that wanted to then start a, a church in Wellington, a PM congregation, which then later turned into a dream of mine that we would plant a PM congregation in Wellington. But this guy led it, and I sort of dovetailed behind him. And I think at that stage, he was there and I was there. And it's, it's not always bad. It's with good intent. We're like, we are going to start a church. We're going to do it. And so what we did is we, we made a video of this thing. We called it Compass Gap, Right. Uh, to, to the campus, the, the students there in Wellington, we wanted to reach them. Made a video, put it on a DVD. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? Anyone know what a DVD is? 
We ripped it on a DVD, okay? You won't know. In the old days, there was something called a stiffy and a floppy. You won't know about those things, right? A DVD. We put it on a DVD and we distributed these things and it was like this funny thing of like, oh, my campus cat, to come to campus cat. We had our posters designed, these funky posters. We put it all over the place. We had a band up. We had a serving team, a welcoming team ready for all the people that would come. And the first Sunday, two people came. <laughs> The second Sunday, praise God, zero people came. <laughs> Third Sunday, zero people came. And it failed miserably. Some of you are waiting for the God story at the end. No. <laughs> it failed miserably. Why? Because we thought we can do it. We can, in our own strength, we are going to reach the people. And, and that's one example. Many of you won't be stupid enough to do that. But I'm telling you, in many ways in your life, you think that in your own strength, you are going to alleviate the problems that you see around you. Yes, some issue, some, some things. Maybe this strikes a chord with you. Some of you are very passionate about social issues. You always want to get into an argument with someone about sexuality and transgenderism and you fill your time and thought with a lot of these videos. And, and I enjoy these guys, but you are consumed with a Ben Shapiro, a Matt Walsh, uh, a, a Jordan Peterson and all of those guys because you want to accumulate knowledge because if I've got knowledge then what I can do is I can argue with people and I can make them change their mind. You don't know how big the problem is. True. You don't know how big the problem is. Some of you have this passion for helping the poor and you're like, if I can just make a lot of money I can give it to the poor. You don't know how deep their problem really is. It's not money. Their problem is not money and you're trying your own strength to do something about it. Some of you think, I can help the church by making lots of money and giving it to the church. So I'm going to chase a career. There's something in your heart there that's like, it sounds noble, but for many of you, it's not. Some of you, it might be noble. Some of you, you don't know what the church actually needs. Some of you are in the church and you see people struggling and you are like, I'm going to be the one to really help them. And I will sit with them and I will counsel them and I'll do all of those things. You don't know how big their problem is. You are not big enough to help them with their problem. Some of you look at the church and you think, I will fill the gaps that there are in this church. If there's AV, I'll do AV. And I'll be on worship. I'll literally run between the two and do it. Like, I'll do everything. I'll preach and then I'll run down to pray for people, you know? Like, I'll do everything. We get that type of mentality and the heart of it is good. You see gaps. And you just want to move and advance the kingdom of God, but in actual fact, you're trying to do it in your own strength. You don't know what the church actually needs. <laughs> I'll get to it in a moment. You think that you can do it in your own strength. When you look at the sin in your own life, you think, I'm going to put everything in place. You don't know how big your problem really is. Say it with me. I can. I can. Then we move to I can't. I can't. God can. God can. Don't say this. I'm going to speak about I can't. Okay. <laughs> Here's Moses' journey. He does that. And then he basically gets caught out. The people of God see him and they heard about the story that he did. And they turn on him. And uh, he has to run away for his life. And he realizes initially in his own strength he thought I can do something about it. Because he is... He's a Hebrew, but he grew up in the Pharaoh's household. He was a well-to-do guy. He had knowledge. He was learned. Like, he was a really clever guy. He thought he could do it. Here's how God teaches him, and this is how God is going to teach you as well. Exodus 4, verse 10 to 12. 
But Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, this is, wait, 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 I need to give context. So he, he then has to run away for his life because he gets caught up. And then he ends up with a woman who is not a Hebrew or an Egyptian, which was not a thing that actually the Hebrews did. He ended up with this woman. And he, he married her and he started working for her father-in-law. Now, if, if you want to be humble, work for your dad, right? <laughs> work for your, not always, some of you, that's great. But like he had to take a humble position, not his own flock, but his father-in-law's flock, right? And he had to just learn to be a normal human being because he had to run away. And then he comes to the, he's in, he's in the wilderness and there's this burning bush. I, I put it on the picture thing there. The burning bush. I don't know if you can put it up. Where are you? Oh, there. That side. <laughs> the burning bush. He comes to that moment over there. It's the burning bush moment where then God says to him, Right, I want to come and use you. But before God can use us, we need to step from I can to I can't. Mm. We need to get there. And listen to how he got there. This is what he answers God when God says, I want to use you to now go and free these people. He says, Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past, or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and tongue. Many people believe he had a stutter. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. And then later on, he still keeps arguing with God. He's like, God, I, I thought I could do it. I've realized it's like millions of people. I'm not big enough. I can't do it. I've got a stutter. I can't do it. And God even comes alongside his weakness and he says, okay, I'll give you help. I'll give you Aaron. And he will speak alongside you. But what God wanted in Moses is he wanted him to come to a place of saying, Lord, I thought I could, but actually I can't. Mm. And if you've been serving God for long enough, then you are going to see that if you try and do things in your own strength, if you try and eradicate sin in your life in your own strength, you're going to come to this place. Saying, but I can't. And unfortunately, the devil wants to come into this point and he wants to make you fall off the bandwagon and just give up on God. Because I thought God was going to do great things through my life. I thought he was going to do great things in my life. I'm not seeing the fruits of it. I might as well just give up. Listen, this is not the end of the story. It's just the middle. He needs you to be in the middle and to see this before he can take you further. But you need to come to this low place, this place of humility, this place of realizing that if I see something in Andre's life, actually I have no power to change it. Yeah. If, if I stand and preach here, you know what I've had to learn over the years? Initially I thought I could do it. I can preach and I can make people's lives change. I can help them into their destiny. I can see God working miracles. I can do it. I used to sit down there like some of you are now and be cocky about it too. I think, ah, this guy's an okay preacher. I can do it better. I'm just being honest. I thought that. Some of you are thinking it. <laughs> it's okay. Not tonight. Not, not. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay if you think that. And then I started preaching. You know what happened then? I realized, well, oh, now this is difficult. <laughs> it's one thing sitting over there. It's another thing standing over here. I realized, oh my head, this is, I'm not changing people's lives. I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing the work of God. I'm preaching and people sit there with bread faces looking at me like, you know what a bread face is? No expression. Bread face. Like, nothing is happening. But I had to come to that place of then, before I got to the next point, I could have given up then and said, well, preaching is not for me. What is it for you? 
God's opened up your eyes and you thought that in your own strength I can do it. In my own strength I can alleviate the, the struggle of the poor around me. In my own strength I can lead a community. In my own strength I can lead worship. In my own strength I can eradicate sin. You need to get to a place of realizing you cannot. Yeah. You cannot. But don't give up when you get there. Just realize that and be humble. You cannot. But when, then what does God do? Firstly, one, two, three, I can. I can. I can't. I can't. Then God wants to play, take you to a place of saying, God can. God can. You want to try that again? God can. God can. That's where God wants to take us. And so what God does is then He sends them, once He comes to a place of humility, He says, Now I will send you by my power and not by your own. Come on. Now I'm going to show you. And he starts working miracles through him. And I'm just going to focus on one miracle. But he, it's actually so interesting. It, I've, I've read up on this. And some people believe God sent plagues into Egypt. Go read the book of Exodus. It's a beautiful book. And he sent these plagues into, plagues into Egypt. And, and some people believe that every single plague, there were like the flies and the gnats and the, the blood and the river and all of those things, believe that that was a mockery that God made of the Egyptian gods. Yes. If you go read up the Egyptian gods, there was like the god of the gnat or whatever, like the god of the frogs, and they had the frog god. And God wanted to come show his power that superseded the power of Satan, superseded the power of Pharaoh. And he, and he, he brought those plagues specifically to come and show how big he is. And he did that through him. And then I want to stop with the last, the last plague that God brought. And again, I say to you that this is, this is a prophetic picture of the New Testament, right? The Old Testament, a lot of the Old Testament, they are shadows of what would happen in the New Testament. And this is a beautiful shadow that God wants to, I think, work in us tonight to see how God actually wants to work through us, how He can do it. And so the last plague, He actually flips it around. He said, well, you, Pharaoh, you wanted to kill all the, first, all the sons. Now I'm going to come and I'm going to kill all the firstborn sons. Unless you've got the blood of an unblemished lamb on your doorpost. Unless that. Read, let's read it together. Exodus 12, verse 5, 7 and 12 to 13. Just skipping a few. Your lamb shall be without blemish. This is what he says to the, to the Hebrew people. A male, a year old. This is the perfect lamb. It's in the peak of its life. I want to say this now. This is reflecting Jesus who was in the peak of his life when he died on the cross. Yeah. 33, that's my age, peak of my life. Right? <laughs> it's also the time Jesus died, so. <laughs> you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on two doorposts and the lintels of the house and in which they shall eat. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods um, of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I will strike the land of Egypt. This is the last nail in the coffin before God says, Now I will set my people free. This is how I'm going to set my people free. Right? And what he does is he gives us a prophetic image of Jesus. Jesus, the Bible, Bible calls him, the Lamb of God. And it says that when we come under salvation, when we come under the blood of God, what he does is we are washed, 
by the blood of Jesus, right? He shed his blood on the cross. He took our sin upon his shoulders and he died for us. So his blood represents healing and forgiveness for us, right? That is what the blood of Jesus represents, the blood of the Lamb. And now this that happened here was on one of the feasts of the Hebrews called the day of Passover, right? Or this, this uh, instituted the day of Passover that they celebrated from there year on year. Guess what day Jesus was crucified on? On the Passover feast. This is speaking about Jesus 100%. Yeah. Jesus was sa sacrificed on a cross, the Lamb of God, a couple of hundred years later, thousand years later, yeah. on that exact feast. And anyone who comes under the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost, you will be forgiven and you will be set free. If you don't, you will die. That is what... So God says, I will use this prophetic image of Jesus to show you and to show Pharaoh who I am and what power I am. And when you see that, everyone who comes under the blood of Jesus, they will be saved. And when Pharaoh sees that, he will let you go. He will release those who are under the blood of Jesus. So how does God want to then come into our lives and take us from I can, I can't, to God can? We need a revelation of the blood of Jesus. Yeah. Because it is only through His power, through His sacrifice on the cross, that we can move forward one inch in the kingdom of God. Only when we realize that it's God's blood and what He did on the cross that can do anything in someone else's life, can we move one step forward in our life or take someone else one step forward. It is only by the blood of Jesus. Are you following me? Yeah. Yes. It's not by your strength. It's when you realize that it's by His strength. It's what he did on the cross. So you look at the sin in your life. You think you can do it. You can't. You know who can do it. Jesus, he did it on the cross. He was the lamb that died on the cross. And if you want to move forward from that place, you need to realize, Lord, it's not in my strength. It is in yours. So I cast it onto your shoulders. I say thank you that you have forgiven me. I say thank you that you are setting me free. And then I walk in it. Am I making sense here? Yeah. The problem is too big. The problem is sin. You cannot eradicate sin. The cross eradicated sin. The blood of the lamb eradicated sin. You cannot do it. So I mentioned a couple of issues earlier. Social issues. Right? Some of the things that we, that we see so much. Gender issues and all of those things that we love to argue about. You know what the solution is for all of those things? It's people getting saved under the blood of Christ. You can fight someone till you're blue. You can argue with them. You can think that you are the intellectual on campus or in your workplace that's going to convince them. You will not change one thing unless they get a revelation of the cross. So all I can do is I can preach Jesus and Jesus crucified. All I can tell them is of a God that died on a cross for them. All I can tell them is you need the blood of the Lamb on your doorpost, on your life. Otherwise, you will die. And if they come to that revelation, then they will change. So what are we? We are conduits of the power of God. We are only those who preach of the power of God and allow Him to come through us to work in people's lives. Amen. If I shut up, nothing can happen. But when I open my mouth and I allow God to come into that place, then something can happen. It's not like I stand still. It's not like I do nothing. But I do it reliant on the Spirit of God and I preach to people the gospel of salvation. Amen. And not the gospel of the, the social gospel, right? That everything gets right by clever arguments. 
Some people are genuinely confused. I've had, uh, I'm going to just stick on this one. I'm going to end in two minutes. Just stick on this one. Like I've had coffees with many people who struggle with, um, with same-sex attraction. And I think it's becoming more and more of an issue now lately. You know, and, and the devil wants to put people in darkness. And sometimes some of us don't realize the, the deep hole that some people are in where actually I'm, I'm actually convinced that some people, I don't know if they were born with it, but, but it wasn't like something happened to them. They don't even know where it comes from. It's just there. It's the brokenness of humanity. Amen. Right? I've been convinced of that. We've got this misperception about it. But the only way in which that can change in our lives and the people around us, the only way is if we come under the blood of Jesus and say, my life is now yours. I've been bought with a price. I want to live your way and you come and change me. You can read all the books in the world. You can speak to all the people in the world and those things are not bad. But it needs to be by revelation of the cross. Some of you want to alleviate poverty. You want to, and that's such a good thing. Like you've got a heart for the poor because that's God's heart. But you know that someone who is, who is poor is firstly poor uh, spiritually. And the only reason we give food to anyone is so that we can get to their hearts. Because that is what can change them. The only reason I will take food to someone is if I can preach the gospel to them. Some people don't agree with me. That's really what I believe. So we think we can make a difference by having soup kitchens and doing outreaches and giving clothes and blankets and nappies and whatever. Whatever we can give, we give those things because that makes us feel better. It's not changing anyone, I'm sorry. Unless I can get in there, give this to them as a demonstration of how God gave His life for them. And then speak it and say, but God gave His life for you. And then I will walk with you through your poverty, but the main thing is coming under the blood of Jesus. That is what it's like. To do it when God does it. Yes. Okay. Some of us want to make a lot of money. The best thing you can do to fight that demon in you. <laughs> so money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Right? If you want to, if you want to conquer that love of money, the best way to really trust God and say, God, you can do it, is to give it away. <laughs> Tithing is a form of spiritual warfare. Yeah. It's saying, God, I trust you with my finances, not myself. Amen. I can look after myself. I can have a good budget. Nonsense, man. <laughs> Put God first and then see Him coming through. That's spiritual warfare. Some of you think that you can help people around you in your own strength and then you realize you've tried and they're still stuck where they were. And, and what I, you call that is a savior mentality. You think you can be the savior. Because you're pointing them towards all your good ideas. That's trying to do it in your own strength. If you come to a place of saying, I'm only going to point you towards Jesus. I'm not the solution for your problem. But I know who is. And I can walk with you towards that person. And that person is Jesus. We need a revelation of the gospel. And now the gospel applies it to every single circumstance. We think the gospel is only there for when you get saved. No, the gospel is there for every part of your life. Jesus dying on the cross is not just for the sinner's prayer. It's for your finances. It's for your sin. It's for your uh, family relationships. It's for your marriage one day. It needs to be applied into everything. That is when the power of God will work in and through you. And when we serve, we do it knowing that I'm only a part. (laughs) I'm not going to fix the problems. I'm not going to be the one to solve everything. I'm just doing it out of obedience to the one who saved me. Can we stand?
going to end with the last scripture in Colossians 1 verse 28 and 29 and this sums it up for me because it's not like we stand still and don't do anything. None of you are hearing that, eh? Yeah. It's bringing everything to Jesus under His blood. That's what it is. And that is still you doing something. It's just not doing the wrong thing. It's doing the right thing. It's coming before Him. This scripture sums it up well. I read it at 4 p.m. as well. Um, him we proclaim, Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So how does maturity in Christ come? That's what he's going to say. Next verse. For this, Paul is saying, I toil. What's toiling? It's working, right? It's like putting effort in. Paul is saying, I'm putting effort in. I'm doing something. Struggling. What is it when you're struggling? You are putting effort in. He says, I'm toiling, I'm struggling with all his. Come, you need to read with me. It's a near experience. You can read as well. Struggling with all his energy. That he works within me. So, how do we move forward? I struggle forward with his energy. I preach His message. I take people to Him. I bring everything, with everything in me. I, I put in the effort. But I put in the effort to come to Him. Yeah. Because it's ultimately He that Him that can do it. Yeah. Yeah. So let's close our eyes and just respond to God for a moment. I don't actually know how to respond. <laughs> so I don't know if you guys are feeling anything. But let's just, just close our eyes. Maybe someone can jump on the keys. So I think it's important to um, not just be hearers of His Word, but actually applying it to our lives um, in this moment, actually. And I think um, it was two weeks ago that Mike came to preach, and he spoke about something called repentance. And repentance is basically this, that you come to God not only saying sorry, but saying sorry and turning from that thing and turning towards God again. Because each one of us know this feeling of I can't. Especially when it comes to Christianity. Mm. And that's where many of us have come to this point of actually giving up in certain areas. I will always struggle in this area. I will always have brokenness in this area. I will always have unforgiveness in this area. I will be always angry towards my parents or towards my brothers and sisters, towards God in these areas. I think God wants to, in a sense, recalibrate us. That's basically repentance. And say, God, come and recalibrate my heart again. Come and bring wheel alignment back again. And it's a work of the Spirit. It's a work of God. So I actually want to start off with those that call themselves Christians, believers, followers of Christ. And I want to call each one of us, me as well, to repentance. So, I'm not going to pray, but let's just close our eyes and say, that, that area, that thing, bring it before the Lord. I think we've been doing this this past couple of weeks. We have not been praying for people. We've been coming before the Lord. And I think it's a demonstration of that very thing. It's God. It's God. Father, we thank you for this moment, Lord. Revelation speaks about that 
Jesus walks amongst His churches. Father, and I thank You that You are walking amongst us. Seeking a repentant heart. Seeking a heart that is busy saying, God, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry. Father, for not only monthly, not only yearly, daily, Father, doing things in my own strength. Thinking that I'm smart enough. Thinking that I'm good enough. Thinking I have enough, in a sense, Christianity in me to do it. Father, we lay that at the cross. Would you come by the blood and wash our own sweat away? That human effort, that sweat, that sins, Lord, come and wash it away. about a living relationship with Christ that you know, that you know, that you know that you know Him not just about Him not just attending a church or when you go home, I'm a part of this church I'm a part of that church we must firstly be a part of His church being born again a living relationship with Jesus and for years I spent time with youth in schools they asked me how do you know? How do you know that I'm saved? How do I know I'm saved? I want to say, you will know. You will know that God has come to live inside of you and that you are found in Christ. If you had an experiential knowledge that you know Christ, your heart will tell you, I know Jesus. There's something in that. So if every eye bowed, I want to make a response actually and then we're going to go into a time of worship. But I want to pray and make in a sense create a time for you because I believe Jesus would have created a time for you just to give an opportunity to come to know him and, and extend the invitation so I want to extend the invitation and to hear his voice through my voice 
to say, come closer, come into a living relationship with me. Leonard spoke about the blood. You need to be covered by the blood. It's a weird picture, but basically it means that Jesus Christ took something on him that you couldn't take. We're trying, but we're failing. By accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and saying, what I deserve basically is hell. That is the gospel. I deserve hell. I deserve eternal punishment away from Him, but Jesus, but Christ died for my sins and if I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life and believe that He's raised from the dead and put my trust and faith in Him you will be saved and your life will never be the same so I want to ask if that is you once again you'll know because God is busy beating on your heart tapping you and saying come close if you do not have a living relationship with Him I want you to look me in the eyes Put up your hand. I want to come and pray for you. And I want to ask some of the leaders as well. Is there anyone here that do not know Jesus and would love to accept Him? Thanks, champion. Anyone else? I want to be bold and say I believe there's three. I believe there's three people that do not know Jesus. There's one. saying you're a part of a church or call yourself a Christian you know that you've life you've lived it far from God and he's calling you closer are there anyone else every eye is closed your heart and he was trying to reel you in and you were kind of like resisting and arching your back and not really wanting to come to him and I just wanted to say that the Lord is good that he calls you because he loves you he calls you because he's he wants to look after you and he wants to cleanse you of sin so if there's any sort of a tug on your heart if you feel that Jesus is saying come to me don't resist him he's got good intentions for you and you need him. You need to be washed of your sin. You're not going to make it without him. So don't waste this moment. Take yeah. this opportunity. Yeah. So we're going to go into yeah, one or two minutes just responding to the Lord. If that's you and yeah, you feel that tug in your heart, please come and speak to me afterwards. And then we're going to close the meeting officially there. Um, yeah, but let's respond to the Lord. For the visitors, I want to encourage you to... And in that forms at the blue gazebo outside, we would love to hang out with you. And let's just take a moment and respond to him. Just before we do, I just wanted to share one more thing. I feel like Enray touched on it, but it just, it's pressing on my heart. But the, the, the message that I spoke about, and we're going to worship now. I know you guys have been standing for a long time. It's, it's I can, I can't, and God can. And I think a lot of us... Some of us are stuck in the I can, but I think I just feel like God wants to focus on the people who've come to a place of I can't. Yeah. And you just feel hopeless, in a sense. Like you look at the situation in the country, you're in Stellenbosch or 
with the people around you and your friends and your family and you've come to a place of feeling like, I can't. And all I want us to do is, as we go into the song of worship, is just to praise the God who can. That's the best response for us, is just to say, Lord, but I know you can. Even if I haven't seen it, even if it's just it's still a journey, I'm just going to worship you because I know that you can. Even if you just declare that, but you're not even there yet. Let's declare that. So don't get stuck in that hopeless place. God wants to take you next step to a place of God can. But let's worship that God. So let's, if you're sitting there, just stand. Let's just take a minute or two. Respond to God. This is the God we're singing to, the one who can.